amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. We came from the West Virginia coal mines and the Rocky Mountains and the Western skies. I got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. We can skin a buck. Run a trot line and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. Country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. Good evening, everyone. Jim Strader here in the studio for a mid. September edition of Jim Strader Outdoors. Delighted to be with you again as always. I'm going to talk about several things here in my opening monologue, and then I've got a special guest that is going to join us on the program tonight, and I'll tell you about that as we finish out the opening part of the show. I wanted to mention several observations I've had this week and some things that are popping on the scene very rapidly with this unusual weather that we've experienced here over the entire spring and summer period. We all know we're way, way ahead of rain on average across the state. And in that regard, our thoughts and prayers to those folks in the Carolinas that are really getting hammered by deluge after deluge of rain and swollen rivers and flooding that's almost unimaginable. And uh, I've been watching that quite a bit because it had the potential to dump a lot of rain on eastern Kentucky, but it looks like that might break up when it hits the Appalachian Mountains over in the eastern part of the state. Hopefully it won't do any damage over there. But at any rate, this uh, abundant rainfall that we've had throughout the period has done several important things. One is... Uh, farm crops, particularly soybeans and corn that were planted fairly early, have matured about as rapidly as I've ever seen. Uh, there's lots and lots of corn in this part of the state. Western Kentucky, of course, is usually ahead of us by, all, on an average, 10 days to two weeks. But there's beans and corn that's going to be ready to roll as soon as things dry out. Uh, in this part of the state and over in the central part of the state and in the eastern part as well, which is pretty unusual for this early in the season. Um, and the same thing's true of a lot of the nut trees. The hickory and, and pig nut started dropping early. Squirrels are cutting it like crazy. And some of the oaks have started to drop. Uh, I was very surprised to find that. I went squirrel hunting this week and uh, took a little time out from dove hunting and fishing to to kind of sharpen my woods craft skills, if you will. And I uh, was very surprised to find several 
oak trees that were already dropping acorns. Now, I'm not talking about a pervasive drop, at least in the areas that I was scouting and hunting in, but they are dropping. And this, of course, changed a lot of things for many of the bow hunters who've been out there in Kentucky searching for the big buck or, or perhaps a meat deer. And it's been a unusual situation, to say the least. There's been some years in the past where we've seen acorn drops like that, uh, but this is about as early for what I would consider a significant acorn drop. And I did a post about this on my Facebook page, which incidentally is Jim Strader Outdoors. And lots of folks chimed in and said they'd been seeing the same thing. So uh, I think it's an interesting development. I hope that the oaks actually, on average, hold their acres for quite some time because I think the wildlife might need those later in the season. I'm looking around the corner at some signs that we might have a pretty significant winter this time. I'm principally talking about snowfall, which is extremely hard to predict at best, but the fruit, wild fruits are very, very heavy. The nut crop's heavy in most areas, and this generally points towards a winter that'll be fairly significant, and we'll see. I'll, I'll report more on that later as we get a little closer to the winter period. I want to see what some of the other signs that I look for tell me, but Things are, are, are very unusual, to say the least. I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see several hens, turkey hens, that is, in the last little bit that have had a fairly significant hatch. And the surprising thing about some of those birds, particularly the one I observed today, I saw two hens with seven poults, and I've seen similar circumstances here in the last week or so. And these poults were obviously pretty early hatched because they were three-fourths the size of the hens they were traveling with. They were quite good-sized birds for this time of year. And with the weather that we had during that period, I'm pleasantly surprised at that. Now, in addition to that, I've seen lots of hens with no poults. But I'm seeing an increased... Significant percentage, I guess I would say, of of hens that do have a couple of poults, but this particular instance with seven with two hens was pretty good observance and and made me feel a little better about what the turkeys might do to rebound a bit because, as most of us around the state know, turkey numbers are down, and they're down significantly. Um. Some of the other observations that I've got revolve around persimmon crop. Yeah, I mentioned wild fruits. Uh, persimmon's right up the top of that list. It's an unbelievable crop of persimmon almost everywhere that I've been. And the early persimmons have already started dropping again to the point of, of this rainfall and what it's done. Uh, the rainfall also has clover and alfalfa about as green and lush as I've ever seen for this time of year, we've kind of avoided that hot, dry August weather that tends to make plants wither and lose nutritional value. So that's something that I've really paid attention to and, and am 
grateful for the benefits of that because deer and turkeys and squirrels, all the things that are uh, forest species seem to be doing quite well because of this. Um, been doing some dove hunting this week, had a couple of really good shoots. The dove population does seem to be much better than we've seen in the last two years. Uh, I still think that one of the main reasons we didn't have as many doves those two years as usual was the storms and rains we had there. Now, we had a lot of rain this year, but we also had some in-between periods where they weren't wind-driven storms. They were just general rains. And general rain is not as uh, disastrous for dove nesting as those storms that really rock the trees and and will blow a lot of the uh, young doves out of the nest. They build one of the flimsiest nests of any type of bird that we have. I'm sure most of you are aware of that. And So I've been watching and monitoring that. It looks to me like they had a bit better reproduction this time than we've had in the past. I got some things to report on the fishing side of things. In that regard, we've got a very special young man. He's a Kentuckian. He's from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. His name is Nick Ratliff. And Nick is going to be on the show as our featured guest tonight. Nick has qualified for the Bassmaster Classic and all the Bassmaster, eight Bassmaster Classics. He came up through the college ranks and qualified for this fishing for his school and won what is equivalency of the Bass Fishing National Championship. So we're going to talk to Nick. He comes from a family that I've known for quite some time. His grandfather, Woody Gardner, was with R&W Marine. As most of you who bass fish around the region, you're probably familiar with Woody. I've done business with him at my expo and had other dealings with him. And he's an excellent multi-species fisherman. And young Nick learned at his knee as well as the knee of his father, William Ratliff. So this young man uh, has had a storied career, made a real move, if you will, on the national scene in the tournament where he qualified to fish next year's national championships and, and classics. So we'll be talking to Nick right after the break. If you want to ask Nick any questions, and believe me, this young man can answer them, the numbers as always, 571 8484 or 1-800-444-8484. This break is presented by SMI Marine, 11400 Westport Road. Go see Tim Addington and his staff. Got all kind of great boats on sale right now. They've got express aluminum boats, legend bass boats, and Starcraft pontoons. And they've got a lot of used boats over there for sale right now, and they're Getting them out the door, so go see them. And remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI Marine. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers, if you have any questions tonight that you'd like answered or if you'd like to chat with our special guest, Nick Ratliff, give us a call. The numbers, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. And we are going to be talking 
bass fishing tonight with a very talented young man who's burst onto the national scene as a result of years of angling, being in love with fishing, and having some mentors that I'm familiar with. Nick, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. How you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm indebted to you for coming on the show tonight. We're just proud as we can be of your accomplishments, and you've got a tremendous future ahead of you as a result of some of your accomplishments that you've done so far, Nick. And and, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, but to get things kicked off here, I'd like you to tell folks how you got started. You know, I've talked with you about your multi-species background, which I think is always a help with any type of angling. But can you tell us a little bit about your family background and, you know, how you learned to fish and where you caught fire targeting bass fishing and tournament fishing? Yes, sir. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um but, you know, for me, the, the background in fishing comes from <clears throat> my grandparents. I, I grew up in a fishing family. My grandparents owned R&W Marine in E-Town, which I know you're familiar with my grandfather, Woody Gardner. You bet. And, uh, so, you know, he, he put me in, in and around the industry at a super-duper young age. And then from there, you know, either him or my dad, uh, William Ratliff, were taking me fishing, you know, every weekend pretty much uh, all through growing up. And then... When I was in about middle school, um, we really shifted from, you know, just going and, and crappie fishing or bluegill fishing, and we bass fished, you know, if the fishing was good, you know, certain times of year. And uh, we really shifted to, I started going bass fishing quite a bit. My dad would take me and drop me off at the, the city lake in E-Town while he would go and work in a, in a john boat, and I would fish all day by myself. And, um, you know, my, my grandfather would take me bass fishing, and then, um, as I got up into like middle school and high school, right before the the real surge in high school fishing, um, a real close family friend, John Lands, who was involved in tournament fishing, uh, started taking me as his team partner. And uh, for me, I didn't start at like the junior level or anything like that, um, like they kind of have now. I started, um, you know, he was just taking me to whatever team tournament we could go to for the weekend. I mean, I think the second or third tournament I ever fished was a big. It was like. $7,500, to win tournament on Kentucky Lake. And, you know, he had no problem with taking me and, uh, you know, me being his partner and, and learning the ropes from him on the tournament side of things, you know, even even in a tournament of that magnitude when he definitely, you know, was fishing for, for quite a bit of money for a weekend guy. So, um, you know, I'm definitely indebted for that. You bet. Now, your multi-species uh, background Talk a little bit about that and what you learned from that that perhaps, you know, I, I grew up the same way. I had a fishing pole in my hand before I can even recall. <laughs> and I've always been a multi-species guy and still today. And I can honestly say what I've learned for from bluegill and crappie and even catfish can apply to bass fishing in some regards and it develops instinctive abilities to understand the weather's impact on fish, the the water conditions, things of that nature. Do you feel that way, and can you talk about perhaps what it's done to help you? Yeah, I definitely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the, the instinctive ability. Um, you know, I really feel like we're, you know, growing up as a crappie fisherman and a, and a bluegill and redder fisherman, we caught a lot of white bass and stripers and stuff like that. Um, it, it helps me in an aspect of, 
you know, everyone talks about time on the water and, you know, just spending as much time out there as you can. And what that really helps is, you know, all, all fish behave fairly similar. You know, they have their different nuances and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they're all going to, when cold front hits in the spring and they're getting ready to spawn, you know, they're all going to do a similar type deal, pull out, you know, hold the cover, stuff like that. And I learned that, you know, not necessarily from a bass fishing standpoint, but, you know, when you're at Kentucky Lake for a week crappie fishing, you know, like we we would always go on my spring break when I was a little kid, and, you know, it's it's inevitable. You got a week down there and the weather's been perfect, and then you, you got your week scheduled and a big cold front hits and it's 35 degrees and the wind's blowing out of the north in April. You know, you can't waste a day. You're going to go figure out how to catch fish, and that's kind of, that really helps, you know, from a start tournament standpoint, from a bass fishing standpoint, because, you know, from a young age, I we were never the type of anglers that, you know, stayed in. You know, I was always shown, hey, if, it, if we get a cold front, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to do this, just because this is why. You know, this is where the fish are going to go. They're going to pull, you know, they may pull out deeper if they're about to spawn. They may hold, you know, tighter the brush pile, stuff like that. And, you know, like you said, it it, it works through all the species. You know, it, it, they really do behave pretty similar in that respect. So, um you know, I think definitely having a multi-species background has helped me a lot as far as the, you know, the gut decision is in tournament fishing. You know, a lot of the little things that happen that, you know, hey, like I'll catch, you know, a little water temperature nuances and stuff like that more yeah. than more so than somebody that, you know, not necessarily, but more so than somebody that just jumps into bass fishing and, you know, never has never picked up a crappie rod or anything like that. You bet. One of the things, and we've only got about a minute here that I want to comment on, and I'd love your take on it. People have asked me a lot through the years, you know, what's the difference between bass, crappie, bluegill, those species, and the way you fish for them? I said, well, I'll just put it to you this way. Most fish bite, but you can actually trick or induce a bass into striking, that they have an impulse, that predatory impulse, that once you understand how to trigger that, even if it's not a good day for a, a bite, you're going to catch some fish because you can trigger them. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, the bass, because they're on or near the top of the food chain, um, like you're talking about <clears throat> the predatory impulse that they have, you know, you, you can really you can learn the ways to make them bite more so than a lot of other species because, you, know, you know, as well as I do, there's some days with crappie fishing and bluegill fishing that, they can just really get locked jaw, and they're hard to catch, you know. You bet. You bet. All right, Nick. Well, welcome aboard. We're going to get into your head about your career, what you've done coming up through the ranks here after the break. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker there. He's got lots of properties listed and will help you with yours, even help with some financing. Check them out at mophartrealty.com. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers this evening, we're going to be talking bass fishing with Nick Ratliff, a young angler from right here in Kentucky who's really made a mark on the national scene. The numbers 571-8484 and 1-800-444-8484. Hey, Nick, you still there? Yes, sir. I always got to check. You know, electronic wizardry gives me some curveballs sometimes. <laughs> um Nick, let's talk about your development as a tournament angler through high school and into college where all this kind of has culminated in a very special opportunity for you. 
next year. Uh, you started fishing, I understand, when you were a sophomore at E-Town High School there. And you were actually, as I understand it, were you instrumental in helping getting bass fishing as, as a sport there? Yes, sir. You know, the the KHSAA, <clears throat> so the sanctioned side of high school fishing in the state of Kentucky, started on in my sophomore year. And, you know, I knew as soon as they announced it that it was – it was something that I definitely wanted to do, and I definitely was going to work, you know, do whatever I had to do through the school to uh, to hopefully get that started to where we could compete on that level. So, um, you know, my partner and I, we were really the first two to have interest in it uh, at E-Town, of course, and, uh, you know, our, our athletic director worked with us, and we were one of the first schools in our area to, to start a team, and it's gotten to now, you know, four years later, um, or I guess seven years later, actually, from then, um, that uh, now you were fishing with Ben Riggs at that time, is that right? Uh, I fished with uh, Gavin Wood at that time. Oh, okay. Uh, my okay. high school partner from Etown, um, and then we fished all of the KHSAA stuff, and then we, I fished anything that wasn't sanctioned through the school um, with Ben Riggs. We fished. Um, he went to a different high school, so we couldn't fish together in the KHSAA stuff. But, I see. Okay, and you. Uh, qualified for the state championship every year in high school. Is that right? Yes, every year that, it, that uh, we fished for the region tournament the, at KHSAA um, events, we qualified for state um, at Kentucky Lake. We were fortunate enough to um, do pretty well. You know, we to qualify at region, you pretty much had to finish in the top 12. We finished uh, third on Harrington Lake, um, I believe it was my junior year. And then we finished third at state on Kentucky Lake uh, my senior year. So that was that was pretty cool to go out like that. And then uh, Ben and I uh, actually won a <clears throat> Kentucky Bass Nation. It's the you know the Bradley Roy Open, um, which is similar to another state championship in high school fishing. Um, our senior years as well, and qualified ourselves for the Bassmaster High School National Championship um, in 2015 after we graduated. So. Well, that's quite an achievement. Anything notable about that period in your career that you want to share, things you learned, or, or perhaps, a, uh, you know, these kind of things are kind of like climbing a ladder. I shot professionally for years, and I know sometimes when you make a mark, it's tough to get there, but once you make that mark, you can start duplicating. You start, you know, you realize you belong there is one way I like to put it. Especially when yeah. you're up against tough competition, a lot of times it takes you a while to to get a taste for what it takes to grind it out and make it happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll, like I talked about in the last little bit, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll make it no secret that, uh, you know, when I first started fishing tournaments, like I said, I was getting thrown into the some of the biggest team tournaments in the state, and I was, you know, freshman in high school, sophomore in high school, and... You know, I got my butt kicked, you know, plenty of times by a bunch of really good fishermen that have been doing it for a long time. And so, you know, I, as I started to, you know, slowly work my way up that way, um, was right around when the high school fishing started. So it, it made a great opportunity for me <clears throat> because, you know, I had a little bit more experience on the tournament side than a lot of the high school anglers did at that time, which a lot of them now are starting a lot younger, um, you know, because it's an option all coming up. But, and so it... It made me feel confident, you know, fishing against the high school field. Not to say that there wasn't some really good fishermen I was fishing against, some kids that I'm still fishing against in college. Um, but, you know, I, 
it made it to where I wasn't intimidated by anybody and that I felt like I could win any given tournament just because, you know, I, I'd been fishing against guys that, uh, you know, they've been fishing the lakes for 25, 30 years. And, you know, I, I didn't feel like there was anybody that uh, was was a lot better than me, you know. So that, And as far as fishing goes, and, you know, you can speak the same way in shooting is, you know, you almost it's, it's similar to golf and, like, the personal sports, you know, you don't want to go too far and be be cocky or anything like that. But you know, you gotta you gotta have a lot of confidence in yourself that you can compete on that level and that you can win on that level. And so that's a lot of what I learned, you know, through the high school stuff. You know, other than that, it was just spending a lot more time on the water. Um, you know, getting the first taste in multiple day tournaments. You know, all of our tournaments in college are two and three day tournaments, and uh, high school gives a good, you know, a, a good springboard into that because, you know, a lot of the team tournaments I've fished, with the exception of our classics, so to say, at Kentucky Lake, um, you know, we're always one-day tournaments. And there's a lot more strategy involved in a two- or three-day tournament as far as managing your fish and finding areas and things of that nature um, than there is, you know, just a one-day shootout trying to catch the most weight that you can. So. Okay. Well, and you, you uh, and Ben qualified for the BASS National Championship in what year? Was it 15, you said? Yes, we qualified for it. Uh, it was on Kentucky Lake in the summer of 2015. All right, and what did that do for you at that time? Um, really, what that kind of started for us was a, uh, you know, and, and what's really gotten big in the last couple of years is it started getting our names under the uh, the bass umbrella, so to speak. You know, they they've put their, you know, they've always had their Bassmaster Top 100 or Elite Series now. Um, you know, on down to the Bassmaster Opens and the Bass Nation and the Bassmaster College now and the Bassmaster High School. So what that, you know, once you start getting your name within the, you know, within the Bassmaster name, you know, people start noticing you. People within the industry will say, hey, you know, I think I remember seeing you in that high school tournament in 2015 and then they're seeing you at a college tournament so they can tell that, hey, you know, this kid's serious. He's fishing a bunch and... And that, that's kind of what it did more than anything. You know, we didn't have the best tournament at that high school national championship. You know, I think I told you earlier we finished like 28th or 29th out of like 150 boat fields. So, you know, nothing nothing to be ashamed of, but not, you know, what you want to do in a national championship. Of course you want to win. Um, but, you know, what it's, what it's grown into now is, you know, there's kids coming up through that high school series every year that are jumping into the college series and being super competitive. Um, you know, I, the, the angler who won our Bassmaster team side college national championship this year was actually the first that's won the high school national championship and won the college national championship. And I think that's a trend you're going to start seeing quite a bit is, you know, the kids that are coming up through high school and being super competitive are going to be the same kids that are doing it in college, you know, like it's been in a lot of sports for a long time. But, you know, college fishing's relatively new. So, you know, it's just it's coming up and it's super exciting. For the kids below me, you know, I boat captain when I get a chance to. So, well, I know you you've helped uh, other youngsters along the way as well. Uh, you were at a tournament yesterday when I uh, attempted to reach out you to you to talk, you know, about what we were going to do this evening. And and has that been a rewarding thing for you as well, bringing other youngsters in and seeing that they get a shot? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I, I boat captain any chance I get. Um, you know, for high schoolers, and then yesterday. Uh, we went as a team for Campbellsville University to the uh, the state championship for Kentucky Bass Nation. We put on a little flipping and pitching contest, you know, giveaway rods, giveaway prizes, and then um, you know, with everything, 
I've been fortunate enough to do. They uh, they asked me to share my story at the banquet, and you know I, I feel like I, I really enjoyed talking to the high school anglers, especially because you know four years ago, and kind of what I told them is four years ago I was in your position, and uh, you know it it's not too far out of reach. You know, in a lot of sports, basketball, football stuff like that. You know, you've got to be, of course, you've got to have the work ethic and you've got to be good and all that, but to make it to the top level, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be super blessed in a lot of areas with size and things of that nature. And fishing's one of the, the awesome opportunities where, you know, of course, you're going you know, to have your people that are blessed with ability, but, you know, you can go out with fishing. If you spend a lot of time on the water and you work hard at it, you can get better at it and you can, you know, you can make it up the ladder, and that's what... That's what I try to, you know, relay to the high school anglers when I get to speak to them or when I get to boat captain them, you know. So I, I definitely enjoy that part of it as well. It's super rewarding. Well, that's good. we got to go to break here, Nick. Coming back, I want to talk to you about your college career, which is where things got pretty meteoric for you, I think it's fair to say. All right, folks, we got to go to break here. It's presented by SMI Marine, 11400 Westport Road, just north of the Gene Steiner. They're easy to get to. Your best bet for all your boat and marine repairs. And remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI Marine. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. Got Nick Ratliff, young angler from E-Town, Kentucky, who's burst upon the national scene on the college bass fishing circuit, if you will. Nick, let's talk about your college career and how you've progressed. Yes, sir. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I started in college. This is I just started my fall semester, my senior year at Campbellsville University. Um, <clears throat> you know, starting out, we fished uh, qualifiers um, every fall, and me and my partner going in my freshman year did well enough in our qualifiers to be to be one of the traveling teams for Campbellsville our freshman year, and I've been fortunate enough to do that every year. And uh, you know, it's. As with anything, you know, we we did well in high school. We came into college fishing thinking, you know, and I'm sure it happens to a lot of people, you know, we came into college, you know, we're going to do well. We did well in high school. And, uh, you know, my, my freshman year, I, I'll go out there and say, you know, it was pretty humbling. We had uh, we had one good tournament in the uh, Cabela's Series National Championship on Pickwick. Other than that, you know, we got uh, a big slice of humble pie for the most part. And, uh, you know, it really fueled my fire. Uh, leading into the rest of my career because actually the Bassmaster uh, College National Championship my freshman year was on Green River Lake, so that's our home lake for Campbellsville University. And then the bracket, which the top four anglers go to and compete for the Bassmasters Classic, was on Kentucky Lake, um, which I kind of is where I grew up fishing at. So to to not qualify for that um, really really. It's been one of the. It was one of the toughest things I've ever had to go through, you know, and sit there and work it and watch, watch a bunch of guys fish a lake that I know so well. And uh, but it was also, you know, it, it's. I feel like it's made me a lot better fisherman, you know, for for it happening. And uh, you know, from there, <clears throat> we did well our sophomore year, qualified for the Bassmaster National Championship in Minnesota, uh, finished 14th in it, and qualified for the FLW National Championship. Which I actually competed by myself on the Red River um, at the beginning of this summer. The FLW is a year later, um, and did all right, and it didn't have the finish I was looking for. But you know, that's, it happens. It's fishing, 
And uh, from there, uh, you know, got started on this season. Had an awesome, awesome year this year. Qualified for the Bassmaster National Championship, I think, four different ways. We qualified at two different tournaments by finishing um, in the top 20% out of, like, a 250-boat field. And then um, we qualified through Team of the Year, which they were doing, like, an Angler of the Year-style deal. Um based on you and your partner, and uh, we qualified through that. I think we were like 23rd or 24th in team of the year out of uh, like a 1,000 or more teams. And then uh, we also qualified. We have a state championship put on every year in the winter, um, qualified for that. We were actually fortunate enough to win it on Green River Lake back in the summer. And uh, so we actually got one of our teammates in through that. Since we were already qualified, they finished second. And, uh, you know, we the, the qualification moved down to them, so that was pretty cool. And uh, we went to the national championship on Lake Tenkiller in Oklahoma back in July. Um, competed there for three days. We're fortunate enough to catch the biggest bag of the tournament the final day. Jumped from fifth place to second on the final day. And, um, you know, it, it was it was an awesome experience because we made the, the college classic bracket, which is kind of the what everyone's shooting for in college fishing. Um, you know, obviously we wanted to win the national championship and that second place, even with everything that happened, still stings worse than anything. Um, you know, we, we had the bites to win that tournament. It's just fishing. It happens. And then from there, um, we qualified last month to fish the, um, the college classic bracket on Milford Lake in Kansas. And what that is, is there's one college angler every year that, uh, you know, gets to take their opportunity at fishing the Bassmasters Classic, and uh, you know they get a truck and a boat to run for the year, as well as you know fishing all the Bassmaster Opens and having some some pretty awesome you know opportunities in the industry. And uh, there was the top four teams, eight anglers split up into like a March Madness style bracket, um, fishing head to head at that, and that's the tournament that I was fortunate enough to win, and uh, you know punched my ticket to the Bassmasters Classic, which is you know huge to a lot of people in the fishing industry. So I'm super blessed and fortunate. That. Well, and, and I, it's my understanding that was a real heart stopping <laughs> situation. It came down just to the to the very very end. Can you tell us about how that transpired? Yeah. So the way that uh, the way our format worked for that, like I said, it was more of like a March Madness head to head style. So you know, even though there was eight guys there, you're only worried about beating the guy that you're fishing against for that day. And then if you moved on, you know, you beat the the winner from the top half of the bracket. Or that you competed against, and uh, you know it was it was a catch, weigh, and release format, similar to if you've watched Major League Fishing on TV. Everything we had Marshall in the boat, and everything was getting weighed in the boat. Um, the only exception being they were still counting our best five, um, you know, through a scorecard type deal. And the final day, uh, we we would fish for three hours, have a halftime where they revealed our weights, so you knew what you were, where you stood against your uh, against your opponent. And then you had three more hours in the afternoon. And so the first two days, I actually, uh, you know, I, I led at halftime. And the first day, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was a weird format because you had to manage your fish for three more days while also knowing that you can't, you know, back off the pedal because the guy you're fishing against could easily come up and, you know, catch more than you beat you in the afternoon segment. So the final day, I uh, we had a storm roll in, and we had a two-hour first segment. In that two-hour first segment, um, I had a limit for 9 pounds and 11 ounces, and my opponent from West Virginia had only caught one keeper for 13 ounces. So I was in good shape coming in, 
but instead of only having three hours in the afternoon, you know, he had four hours to go out and and try to adjust. And he's an awesome fisherman. I've known him for a couple of years through the college series, and I I knew that something was going to happen. So, um, you know, we went back out, and from the way I understood it, of course, they didn't tell us what the other guy was catching. But I've kind of went back and watched the video and watched the TV show and stuff on ESPN, and he went out. And in the first hour after we got back out there, he, you know, he had pretty much the biggest bag that had been caught all week. Hey, Nick, can I get yeah. you to hold right there, please? I'm up against hard break, and this makes some pretty good storyline coming back after we go to the second hour. So if you don't mind, let me uh, get this break out of the way, and we'll talk about how that transpired because it's pretty cool yes, outcome, to say the least. All right, folks, we got to go to break here. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker there. He's a hunter. He's a fisherman. Matter of fact, he just had a great uh, striper fishing trip down to Cumberland Lake. And uh, Paul knows outdoor properties, farms, vacation cabins, wildlife management properties. He's got them all. Check them out. M-O-P-H-A-R-T-Realty.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 